Hello, peeps. Today we have another podcast episode. Sorry, it's not a vlog. It's just me talking into a camera. Wah, wah, wah. But I had a good time making this podcast. Um, I basically, it's like, kind of like my origin story as far as like why I like to travel. God, origin story, that sounds so stupid. But it's just basically like what initially made me want to travel. Like some early, really influential trips I went on. I talk about Japan. I talk about everything I love about that. I talk about basically why I travel. If you're seeing this on the regular YouTube channel, that means you missed out. You could be seeing it a month early when I release it on Patreon originally. So if you're a patron, you get exclusive uh, early access to a lot of cool stuff, podcasts, deleted scenes, the list goes on. But if you wanna check out some stuff that I have already on Patreon, go check the link in the description and support your boy. Help me make a little bit of internet money. You know what I'm saying? We struggling out here. <laughs> uh, let's think. Yeah, that's it for now. All right. Hope you enjoy. See you soon. Good day, people. Welcome to the inside of my car. Today we're doing another podcast. <laughs> On location. In my car. In the whip. Oh, the Nissan Altima. Check it out in all of its glory. Um, yeah, today I just wanted to give you guys like more of a backstory about why I travel, kind of my first experiences with travel, um, and what I hope to get out of it, why I do it, basically. Um, yeah, I think last time I kind of just quickly glossed over years of my life. Um, yeah, so I didn't really go into a lot of detail about, like, my past experiences traveling, like, kind of the most influential uh, trips that I've had in my life. So that's what we're doing today. So let's see where to start. Yeah, so my first real experience traveling was in drum corps. So drum corps is basically a professional or it's the highest level marching band that exists in the world. Um, it's based, a lot of them are based in the United States, but there's a few in Japan and like South America and there's a few starting up in um, like Southeast Asia, I think. So it's a very niche activity. You've probably never heard of it, but it's full of elite musicians. And I was one of them for about four or five years, something like that. And anyways, um, you basically tour around the country, all around the U.S. We have these tour buses, these charter buses. They're not tour buses. They're not nice at all. It's it's like <laughs> real budget um, situation. There's not a lot of money in drum corps. So we're just on these charter buses, living life. Basically, that's your apartment. Is like your little seat in this tour bus. And basically what you do is you wake up in the morning, you bust your ass, you rehearse for eight or nine hours, and then at, the, at night you have a show. And, you know, people pay to see you perform, and blah, 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 and they, they scream and cheer, and then you get on the bus and you do it all again the next day. So it's an incredibly exhausting activity. It only lasts for three months each summer. And uh, let's see. Yeah, basically you don't get paid. You actually have to pay to do it. Um, so, yeah, but it's it, it was kind of like the first experience I had uh, traveling a lot, being on tour. I mean, we, we were in a different state, like, almost every day. You know, you'd wake up, and you're like, what state is this? Kentucky? Okay, cool. The next day, wake up, what state is this? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you just don't know where you are. <laughs> Believe me, it happens. <laughs> um but I think that was really influential, not only for like the musicianship and the camaraderie and like being really good at something, but also 
traveling my ass off. It didn't really feel like traveling at the time because, you know, you're just working so hard. But when you look back, you're like, oh, yeah, we went to Kentucky. We went to, you know, like 30 different states in a summer. That's an exaggeration. It's probably more like 15 or 16. But still, that's a lot for a kid in one summer. You know, you're in different climates and there's different locals and there's different food and stuff. And occasionally when you get free time, you do get to enjoy um, that kind of stuff. Like when I was on staff, I taught at this place called Spirit of Atlanta. I was on staff. One time we were rehearsing in Maine and we finished rehearsal. The staff, we went to like some fresh fish market. We got lobster rolls. It was fucking wicked. So, you know, there's there's small opportunities here and there to do stuff like that. Um, but kind of the experience taught me about travel is that it doesn't have to be glamorous. You know, you sleep on a tour bus, you sleep sitting down, you know, it's terrible for your body. Um, you don't really sleep a lot. Um, you bust your ass. I don't know. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, we also drank from like fire hoses and like showered in random schools across the, the country. So it was not a glamorous activity whatsoever. It was like being homeless, basically. <laughs> it really was, man. Um, but yeah, it just kind of showed me that like, oh yeah, it doesn't have to be glamorous. You can just travel. You can just go. You can just find a reason. <clears throat> and it's not so much about <clears throat> where you are. It's more about what you're doing, right? So I was doing some cool shit. I was living out my dreams. I was a great musician. I was traveling. I was performing for thousands of people. I was doing something awesome. And it didn't really matter how it was done. It didn't really matter that I was sleeping on the floor and all this bullshit I had to deal with. It didn't really matter because what I was doing was worth it. And at the same time, you get to see some cool places. <coughs> um, so yeah, that just kind of taught me like how to be homeless, uh, for better or worse. So I did that when I was 18, I finished when I was 22, then I graduated college, and I had this period of time where I was pretty lost in life, didn't really know what I was doing, um, really had no plan at all. I graduated college, and I was completely lost, I just was applying to part-time jobs left and right, make a little money here, make a little money there, doing a lot of drugs, um, not really knowing what I wanted to do at all. And then I saw this ad for teaching English in Prague, which is a country in, or which is a city in the Czech Republic in Central Europe. So I saw this ad and I applied and they were like, yeah, you know, you'd be a great fit and you can start this day and blah, blah, blah. And we just like started planning kind of the next steps. And then I, I thought about it and I was like, oh wait, doesn't everybody want to learn English? Like, I think, I could just do this anywhere. I don't have to do this in Prague. So I, I started thinking like, okay, where's one place I really, really, really want to go for a long time? And the answer was Japan. I had a friend, Lance. What's up, Lance, if you're watching this? What's good, man? Thanks for watching. Uh, <laughs> I had a friend, Lance, who lived there for on and off for like, I think in total about a year. And he was a touring musician in Japan. It was a pretty badass gig. But he would always talk about Japan like how much he loved it, the people, the food, the culture, it's so safe, it's so clean, blah, blah, blah. So I'd never been at this point in my life, you know, I just graduated college, I'd only been, oh wait, I skipped over studying abroad. Hold that thought, hold that thought. Um, when I was in college, my senior year, I studied abroad. 
um, I went to Europe. We went to Poland, and then we spent the most most of the time in uh, Italy, like five weeks in Italy and one week in Poland. Went to Auschwitz, um, had nice little uh, weekend trips, and we just saw a lot of Europe. I saw a ton of stuff. I went to like, I guess, Poland, Switzerland, Italy, maybe one more. Maybe I'm missing something. Um, but we just saw a lot of a lot of Europe, man. It was, it was fucking. Ah, oh, god damn it! I skipped over. God damn it! <laughs> Guys, I have notes. I have notes. I haven't even looked at them once. Okay. Refresh. <laughs> okay. So when I was in high school, I left the country for the first time. When I was in high school, I went to London when I was 16 to play drums in the New Year's Day parade, and that was sweet. I had virtually no knowledge of the outside world until I left when I was 16. I thought, and this is a little embarrassing, I thought that the American accent was neutral. I thought we were the only ones in the world that spoke normally. Um, and my friend who is Cuban was like, no, dude, like we have American accents. What are you talking about? Like every place has its own accent. And I was like, oh yeah, well, why does the phone talk back to me in American English, huh? How come Siri or, you know, whatever, it was like 2008 or nine or something. How come Siri or whatever speaks to me in an American accent? And he's like, it's cause your phone is from America, dude. Like if you go to South Africa, the English sounds different and that's normal to them. And I just could not believe it. Dude, that, that was like the first time my mind was completely blown like, Oh, we're not the only ones. <laughs> yeah. So a little embarrassing to admit, but it's I'm just I'm just keeping it real. Um so anyways, that that kind of like completely opened the door for like new cultures and new cuisines and I don't even think we ate anything crazy in England. It's all kind of a blur. I was so young. Um also, dude, the the way the trip was carried out was, in my opinion, looking back, bullshit. I don't think you should go to a place, we were there for like one week, we went there for a week and completely sent it at all times. Like, dude, we traveled so much. We went to Stonehenge and then we went to like Big Ben in the same day and then we went, I don't even remember, dude. I just remember being exhausted the whole trip. Like not really even getting able, not even being able to like, enjoy what I was doing. I was just so fucking tired the whole time. And then also on top of that, we had to perform in the New Year's Day parade. I had to carry a drum for a few hours and it's freezing cold weather. Um, anyways, I'm complaining, but in, in, in total, like in the re in retrospect, it was dope as fuck. Cause I left the country for the first time. My whole worldview shifted. I was like, oh yeah, like there's a world outside of America. <laughs> And some of you may argue that I still don't realize that. <laughs> but yeah, that was the first time I realized that. And yeah, it was just really valuable, man. So shout out Mill Creek Band for hooking up that opportunity, even though I was exhausted and wasn't really enjoying myself very much. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, it was super influential in my life. So thank you guys. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? So London. Oh yeah, dude. There was one time on the London trip, 
Dude, I was such a spaz in high school. Like I smoked pot and I was just a little spacey and there, so there was this one example um, from the London trip where it really illustrates how bad I was at traveling and how spacey I was. So basically we were leaving the hotel to like go on this big group trip and it's like 30, 40 kids, the whole band was coming out to do something, I can't remember. And they're all like, hey, you guys got your subway tickets, we're getting on the subway. And everybody, everybody pops on and I'm sitting there at the turnstile like, fuck, I don't have my ticket. I left it in the room or I lost it or something. I just didn't have it. So I had to go back to the room and, you know, delay our plans for like 10, 15 minutes. And yeah, it was very embarrassing. Um, but that's how I used to be, guys. I used to be, actually, I think I'm still that way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've changed much, actually. I still forget shit. Yeah, I'm late for a lot of things. Um, I don't really plan. Yeah, I guess nothing's changed. Okay. End of that story. <laughs> All right, let's see. Drum corps. Okay, so I studied abroad in Europe. All right, I think we touched on that a little bit earlier. Um, it was six weeks in total, one week in Poland, five weeks in Italy, and then we could take weekend trips. And we had long weekends. It was like three-day weekends. So went to Poland, saw Auschwitz. Moving, moving experience. Um, if you guys are ever in Europe, you should go. It's uh, very heavy. But I uh, went to Auschwitz and then we studied in Venice, or no, Verona, Italy for four weeks, about a month. That was pretty cool. Only complaint was we studied our asses off, dude. Like usually study abroad, it's like really easy classes. You all just drink a lot, which we, we still drank a lot. But the classes were not easy, man. We had to study a lot. I ended up getting like two Bs, a little upset. I figured I'd get an A and study abroad, but whatever. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time during the week studying, honestly, and getting like takeout pizza, which was fire. There's some amazing pizza places that Indian guys on little scooters would deliver in the middle of the night. One time we had like anchovy and olive and like red onion pizza and capers maybe. It was very strong. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but it seemed very Italian at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, so studied a lot. Didn't really get out much during the week, but on the weekends, we, we truly sent it. We went to, I went to Venice. One weekend, we went to Switzerland, uh, Interlaken. It's a popular tourist spot, I think. There's like a lake and like huge glacial mountains and it was really nice. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, Cinque Terre, which is like, means like five earth in Spanish. I think it means the same in Italian. Um, which is like a little beach town, blah, 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 whatever the fuck. We just took a lot of trips. I had a lot of fun on that study abroad trip. But the most like influential part of it was going to Rome and Florence. Because in Florence was the birthplace of the Renaissance. There was a lot of art happening in the some year, I don't know. But there was a lot of art happening and people were paying good money to artists. Like you can make a living being an artist and... People just valued science and culture and reason a lot more. And so that was kind of like, not the birthplace, but this kind of blip on the map of Western culture kind of being fucking awesome, right? Um, and it goes back, I think, all the way to the Greeks. So the Greeks had these ideas of democracy and reason and logic and the Socratic method, which we still use today in law school. And... 
it was just kind of like a beautiful birth of culture, honestly. That's like where Western culture started, was in Greece, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on that. But basically it was like the Greeks, and then you had, I think the next was the Renaissance. So in Italy, in um, the Roman Empire, right? So you had ancient Greece, and then you had Rome, and then now we have America. Right, so seeing, like going to Florence and seeing the, uh, not the birthplace, but like where a lot of those ideas took hold um, in Western culture, you know, um, was really fucking awesome. Seeing like huge statues of David, seeing like the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican, seeing um, just amazing artwork. And it was done by people like like us, like me. I mean, I'm a Westerner. You know, I adopt those values. I believe in reason and logic and democracy and argumentation and freedom of speech and freedom of thought. I believe in all that shit. So seeing that in person, like actually seeing a sculpture sculpted by hand, by, I don't know, Michelangelo's hand or whoever fucking did it, actually being in the presence of that was very powerful. And I just felt super, super, super proud to be an American. Can you believe it? I went to Italy and fell in love with America. Because I was like, you know what? We're like at, we're, I mean, at least when I went, it was before Trump. <laughs> we were, I, th I still think we are, at, at the cutting edge of Western culture. Like we are the best country in the West, right? We're the richest. We are the most free. Yeah, you could make some arguments against that, uh, that I would, I would listen to. You know, we have high incarceration rates, uh, pretty strict drug laws. Mm, yeah, we, we, there, we could have a conversation about that. But in general, I do think we're free as fuck. We can pretty much do whatever we want. Thanks to, you know, these Western thoughts. And at the time, those shits were revolutionary, man. Like, think about the founding fathers writing our constitution. That was so crazy to think that we wouldn't have a monarchy. That was so crazy. And that goes back to fucking Greece, man. They invented democracy. Imagine how crazy it was back then, like in whatever year, I don't know, BC something, like a long time ago. Even today, democracy is still not the way, I don't think it, it aligns naturally with how humans are, right? And we see this now with like Facebook and uh, like cancel culture and people on the left and people on the right. People just don't want to hear out opposing opinions, right? They just want to have a strong man who says, shut the fuck up, listen to me, I know what's right, get in line, no freedom of speech, blah, blah, blah. So I could go on and on about this. I love Western thought. I love America. It It's the best system there's ever been. Um, but yeah, so just, just seeing that in person was very powerful. And even today, like I'm still getting worked up about it. It was like five and a half years ago that I went. So if that shows you how influential it was to me. <sighs> okay. <laughs> enough about politics, enough about all that stuff. But that goes, all that goes to say is I had a great time in Europe. Okay. All right. And let's see. So yeah, back to where we were before. So I came home from Europe. I fucking graduated college. I had no plan, no plan to make money. Um, 
basically just wallowing in my own pity for like months, applying to part-time jobs, drinking a ton, smoking a lot of pot, uh, just not really knowing where I was going. And then I saw this ad for teaching English in Central Europe and Prague in the Czech Republic. And I applied, I think I got it. I'm pretty sure I did. I can't remember, but I was in talks with them and I was, I was planning on going to Europe to teach English. And then I started doing some more research. My mom actually showed me a different website, like a different um, TEFL Academy, which is uh, Teach English as a Foreign Language. She was like, oh yeah, um, you, could, you could teach for these guys or you could, you could train with these guys. And basically it's a training academy that I took online classes for a few weeks and I got, I got certified. I'm like a TEFL certified teacher even to this day. It's, it lasts you a lifetime and you can get a job basically anywhere in the world. Um, if you are interested in that, I'm going to post a link in the description. Go check it out. Honestly, no bullshit. I do think it's a great way to get out of the country, to get a job. Like if you don't want to work remotely or you don't have the means to, just honestly, and, it, and it's a good way to like intermingle with the culture. Like you're going to teach foreigners. You're going to be around foreigners every single day. So yeah, I think it's a great way to make money abroad. And basically, so yeah, let's see. Um, so I got trained to teach English and then I left for Japan. This was in late 2018, September of 2018. I left Georgia to go live in Japan. And basically the way I chose Japan was I had a friend who used to live over there and he was a gigging musician and he, um, he lived there for like a year off and on kind of. So he had, you know, a lot of experience with the country and he was always just singing its praises, saying it's so clean, it's so safe, people are so nice, it's a great place to live. So I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna go. I've never been in my life at this point, I've never been, but fuck it, I'm gonna go. And that's usually how I approach travel. I don't really know a lot about a place before I go. I don't really know what I'm gonna do. I don't know if it's gonna work out. I just kind of send it and figure it out as you go. Um... <laughs> so yeah, leaving was scary, man, to say the least. I had to like get all the tax forms and all the hiring stuff and do Skype interviews and buy a few suits because you had to wear a suit every day in Japan because they're super formal. And yeah, it was a lot it was kind of a lot of money to like get everything started because I had to buy all the shit and then I got over there and then I had to buy all the furniture and stuff. So it was a bit of a, a risk on my part, you know not only money, but also time. Like, I didn't know if this was going to work out. I didn't know. I didn't know shit, dude. I just left. Okay. And <laughs> let's take a look at my notes here. Yeah. So I felt like up until this point, you know, my experience in drum corps, you know, I was traveling a lot, but I wasn't seeing a ton because I was working so hard. My experience in London you know, I was, I traveled far, but I didn't see a ton of stuff. I didn't really get like a lot of depth to the experience. I was, it was very shallow. Like we'd see Stonehenge. All right, 30 minutes, pack it up. We're gone. Same in uh, studying abroad. You know, we went to the Vatican. We saw the Sistine Chapel. Am I saying that right? Sistine Chapel? I don't know. Um, we saw the Sistine Chapel and I swear to God, dude, it was like five minutes and the tour guide was like, okay, let's go. You like my Italian impression? spot on right she's like yeah let's go let's go after five minutes i was like are you fucking serious i stayed in there dude i stayed behind i was like dude i don't think i'll ever see this again i am sitting my ass down and i'm gonna stare at this mural for a long time 
And then when I came out, they were, the whole group was waiting on me. They were very upset. Uh, well, anyways. <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, so I, I just felt like all these travel experiences were dope, and I'm super grateful for them, but also they weren't really enough. They weren't really scratching my itch. Like I had watched, um, you know, Bourdain stuff where he stays in a place for a while and does like an expose on different aspects of the culture and you know one day is food one day is politics and he just really he just gets deep deep in the culture and that's what i wanted and so when i left for japan i felt like i this was my chance like i was going to stay here for at least a year that's how long the contract was for like we're going to get balls deep in japan we're going to get balls deep in this country and that's what i did man you know, when you work somewhere, you just have a normal-ass life. You're living a normal life, walking to work, buying groceries, mailing stuff, paying bills, like taking out the trash. It's just normal shit, but it's all super interesting. Like, uh, dude, when I first got to Japan, I uh, I didn't know how to take out the trash because they're a really organized society. It's one of the best and worst parts of Japan. Um so yeah, it's a great organized society, but like you have to take out different materials of garbage each day. So I don't know, Monday, let's just spitball for example. Monday is like paper, Tuesday is plastic, but there's a certain kind of plastic, not just any plastic, it has to be, like if you look, I think it's in America too, if you look under the plastic, there's like a little recycle sign with a number in it. And so let's say Tuesday is like recycle number two. Wednesday is recycle number five. Thursday is cardboard. Friday is styrofoam. It's like all, dude, it's incredibly difficult to just land and like, you can't just take out the trash. You have to learn how to do it. So I, like I said, I don't really plan. I don't really study. I don't really investigate before I leave. That's what traveling is for, I think. You do it there. Um, so I didn't know any Japanese. I knew how to say hello and like goodbye and thank you and sorry. I think, yeah, so like four or five phrases. But I can't fucking call the municipal office and be like, hey, what material do I take out on Tuesday? What material do I take out on Saturday? I don't have those skills whatsoever. So I called, dude, I wish I had a recording of this call, man. But it, it was like an hour long, super painful conversation of someone who speaks no Japanese and someone on the other line who speaks no English. So I kind of, by the end of that conversation, I kind of understood how I was supposed to take out the trash. But keep in mind, guys, up until this point, I had been there for a month, okay? So I had a month of trash just sitting in my bathroom because I didn't know what to do with it, man. I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> just piles, dude, piles of garbage. <laughs> so disgusting man but hey you know that's I don't know you're there to learn you're there to challenge yourself right <laughs> so it was a fucking challenge just calling that guy asking how to take out the trash um, <laughs> but yeah I mean even if it's not like a story like that just like you know paying bills or like buying a can of beer like it's all different it's all new it's all novel Right. And that's the kind of experience you get when you live somewhere. Right. Because if you're 
there for like four or five days. Like when I was in London, I was there for a week and you're fucking sending it every day. You don't have time to just like peruse a grocery store and try to read the ingredients on stuff. You don't have time to like get lost on the subway just for fun. You know, you're, you're so focused on like those must see, must do things, which as a concept is bullshit. Um, you don't have time to like enjoy the little things, which I feel like I did when I lived in Japan and you can too. Like I said, use the link in the description if you want to start teaching English. Um, let's see. Yeah. So when I was over there, when I was in Japan, I read a book called Vagabonding. It's by Rolf Potts. I'll link it in the description also. It is a life-changing book, dude. Life-changing for me because what it did was it detailed precisely how I felt about travel. It was, it was how I felt, just put into words. Beautiful, artistic words. Um, it's a very well-written book, and it explains perfectly, in my opinion, what I want to get out of travel. He's all about slow travel. He's about taking in your surroundings as they are and not trying to, to force your expectations on it, right? Um, he's all about getting to know the culture, getting to know the people, and he's against the idea of like the real Japan, the real Thailand, because it's all real, right? Like he, he explains something uh, like in Thailand, he, he was in a monastery and he saw a monk wearing uh, Air Jordans and like texting on an iPad or something. And he's like, oh, is this the real Thailand? Well, it's like, well, yes, it's real. Look, can you touch him? He is real. Like his Jordans are real. This is where you are. Like just take it in and accept it. This is how it is, you know? And yeah, th that book just really changed my life, man, because it, I don't know. And the, the whole thesis of it is it kind of puts you in like a meditative state, right? Because it just makes you accept things as they are. And it, and it instills, at least in me, it instilled the value of travel at all times in me. So even when I'm home, you know, I'm stuck in Georgia right now. Even when I'm home, there's stuff to learn. There, there are people to talk to. Everyone knows something that you don't know. And when you start looking at life this way, it, it, it kind of opens a lot of doors for you and it opens a lot of doors for adventure, right? So like, for example, if you go to Thailand and you say, today I'm gonna go to this temple and I'm gonna go to this beach and I'm gonna climb this mountain. If you don't do those things, it's a failure. It's a failure every day, right? And if you, it's okay to have a plan, but like, you know, be a little loose with it, right? So for example, the way I like to travel, the way Rolf Potts, likes to travel is you you make like maybe a, a, a loose plan like hey i'm gonna go to this temple and then climb this mountain and blah 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 so you can have the same plan just not don't cling to it so hard so then as the day goes on like if you don't do that shit like if you meet a guy and he's like hey you want to smoke a joint or if you meet a girl and she's like hey let's like go to the beach and go to this nude beach or something i don't know just a random example to me that's a lot more fun then like, oh man, we didn't go to the temple today. And like, ah oh, man, well the bus was late and I couldn't figure out how to get there. And like, but you know, maybe you talked to a guy, maybe you found a new friend, maybe you made a connection. Like there's always some adventure to be had and it doesn't have to be at like the major touristy attractions. You know, life happens in the small moments, right? So I don't know, like giving some kid a little English lesson for five minutes on the side of the road or like, trying a new dish that is actually disgusting, but you're happy that you tried it, right? So all that goes to say, I read this book when I was in Japan and it really changed how I look at travel. 
and I began to slow down. Like, oh, I'm here for a year. I can take my time with this shit. I can see a lot of stuff in the country. I don't have to rush, man. You know, I have a house in Osaka. I don't have to take a flight every time I want to go to the beach in Okinawa or go go skiing in Hokkaido or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think reading that book really opened a lot of doors because when I was in Japan, I had a great fucking time, dude. Not only, like, the little weekend trips and stuff that I took, but just day-to-day life, man. Like, Japanese people are just so friendly and inviting. They're not always super open. Like, in Colombia, if you've seen my videos, like, Colombians will kind of go out of their way to talk to you and, like, give you stuff. And So, Japan's not always like that. They're a little more shy and, like, reserved. But, like, when they, when they open up, when someone reaches out to you or you reach out to them like whenever that conversation starts happening you realize like oh man these people are world class these people are the shit um dude the amount of rides i got the amount of free stuff i got free drinks (laughs) um yeah japan was life-changing that was one of the best times of my my whole life man i just felt so free i every day was something new even if it was something small, and even if it was annoying at the time, it was always new, right? Like going to buy shampoo and it's like, damn, I can't read any of the ingredients. Like I just want some good shampoo. Well, sorry, you're not getting a good shampoo today. You're in Japan. You can't read Japanese. <laughs> so, you know, there's sacrifices along the way, but like in general, in the, the grand scheme of things, I think it was an excellent life choice. I really actually want to go back to Japan. Um, so it, laughed, it left like a, a huge impression on me. Um, and yeah, when I was in Japan, I did quite a bit of traveling. I worked at this uh, company called Nova, which I don't recommend you work for. I didn't enjoy um, day-to-day working there, but like they were really uh, lenient with time off. Um, you could just request a few days. As long as you like gave the lessons to other instructors, it was totally fine. So I fucked off a lot, dude. I went to Thailand for six days. I went to Okinawa for like seven days. I went to... Hokkaido with my girlfriend at the time for about a week um, You know Tokyo and Kyoto and Nara and just all over the place man I had because I was there for a year man, and if you take long weekends every few weeks you're set dude You can see a ton of shit um, Yeah, dude, I, I man I could just talk about Japan all day Maybe I'll do like a, its own separate podcast for Japan because it was very influential in The way I look at life now and travel it was really that book paired with being in Japan just opened a lot of doors alright guys we're back after a little (laughs) oh my god alright guys we're back after a little hiatus Uh, my fucking camera keeps overheating so I can't use it for more than 30 minutes but hopefully we're Gucci now Um, where were we we were still in Japan right yeah so I traveled a ton in Japan life-changing experience absolutely loved it i was there for a year and you know i made decent money at the english teaching job i was able to like basically live not super frugally like you know there was a few months where i had to pinch pennies but in general i I was like decently comfortable you know i was eating out two three times a week at least um drinking a ton i drank a lot in japan (laughs) it's a huge drinking culture man they don't have drugs over there like we do in the states you know we have pills and coke and weed and whatever you want in the states acid whatever but in japan it's i mean there are drugs but there are there no one does them 
they're highly illegal. So it's not really worth it. And also a gram of weed is like $70. It's something ridiculously expensive. So people are just boozing it up in Japan. Just boozing it up every day. Smoking a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> There's some bars you can go into and like a Marlboro girl will come by with a pack of cigarettes just or like a carton of cigarettes just handing out packs. And she'll like get your information like who's who wants these cigarettes, right? It's like market research. But you get free cigarettes. Sometimes you get free beer. You know, it's just... I feel like... So basically, you know, America nuked Japan, if you don't know that. A little world history for you. We, we bombed them. And then we rewrote their constitution. So in like the late 1940s, we wrote their constitution. Okay? So imagine America in the 1940s, 1950s, how it was, the things we valued, stuff like that. And how much we've changed, right? Now we, you know, women get more rights. Um, it's, you know, easier to get abortions. Like, you could go on and on. Like, a lot of social issues have improved in America since the 1950s. Um, you know, I'm sure some of you woke people out there will disagree with me completely, but I think, in general, we've made good progress. Um, because, you know, in the West, we value freedom of speech. Like we were talking about earlier, we value argumentation and, like, individuality and freedom of thought. But in Japan, they don't. They don't value any of that. It's all about conformity. It's all about doing what's right for your family. It's all about doing what's right for society. You know, for better or worse, there's trade-offs here, right? It's not all good or all bad. It's just, it's just different, okay? So Japan got this document in the late 40s, early 50s. I don't know when we wrote it, but that's kind of the general era. Um, and basically, it hasn't changed. They, they still value the same things that we valued back then they they don't give women a lot of autonomy over their own bodies um gay marriage isn't really a thing drugs are a serious no-no serious no-no if you're a foreigner and you get caught with weed or any drug in japan you can never come back ever and you also have to go to jail so is it really worth it hmm? <laughs> um why did how did we get on this topic what the fuck was i talking about Mm. <laughs> shit drugs oh yeah drinking I drank a lot so basically drugs aren't a thing over there so people just drink a lot because that's how it has been always the whole world likes to drink and Japan doesn't want to accept new substances that are proven to be healthy it doesn't want to acknowledge that maybe alcohol and tobacco aren't very great for you um, none of that so boozing it up smoking it up it's fine over there so I did a lot of that when I was over there. Um, you know, not proud of it, but it was fun. I had a lot of fun drinking in Japan. <laughs> we had, I had two friends, Kyle and Ben. Shout out Kyle and Ben if you're watching this. Um, who were also English teachers. And, you know, the hours were a bit weird. So, like, we started our shift at, like, 4.40, or at least I did. And I worked until 11-something or, like, 10.20, I think, at night. So pretty late. Um... And then we start work so late the next day, it's like, fuck it, let's go out drinking until 5 in the morning. There's no consequences. I have this money I made today. Let's go spend it all. <laughs> let's go spend it all on gas station beers. We're going to sit outside of a gas station until 5 a.m., drinking and smoking. <laughs> Sometimes you pass out on the curb. Hey, it's all good in Japan. People do that all the time. People pass out. 
dude, go around Tokyo, uh, Shinsaibashi, or like any big Akihabara, I don't know, just go to any city area in Japan. Motherfuckers passed out left and right, dude, in the bushes, pissed themselves. There's also a great uh, Instagram account, I don't know if it's still up, but it's called um, Sleeping Tokyo. You should go follow it, it's hilarious, it just shows drunk people in Japan. But, um, you know, when people get drunk over there, they don't really, like, fight a lot. They don't really argue. It's not like the U.S. where we're so individualistic and we're like, whoa, no, get off my land. And, like, that's my wife, you know. Over there, it's more, like, a little more friendly to other people, right? It's more of, like, a collectivist society. So it's not so dangerous, right? As opposed to, like, going to a bar in Forsyth County, Georgia, and Jimmy Bob is, like, 12 moonshines deep. And, you know, he pulls his 20-gauge on you. It's not like that. It's, It's super chill over there. Um, with drinking at least like it's pretty safe um, one quick story the most dangerous thing that ever happened to me in Japan was I got robbed in Osaka which is arguably the most dangerous place in Japan I was in America Mora arguably the most dangerous place in Osaka so take that for what you will I got completely blackout drunk one night completely I don't remember a single thing and well actually the last thing I remember is downing some sake right wake up outside of a love hotel, which are these little hotels you can pay by the hour just to have sex, or just for whatever you want, just pay by the hour. And I woke up on a bench outside of a love hotel, no wallet, still had my phone, thank God, Um, which alerted me of a fraud alert. Someone had used my card at a gas station and bought like $120 or $30 worth of stuff. So I went to that gas station, I was like, hey, can I check your cameras, blah, 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 and you know, I don't speak Japanese, so I had, like, some random guy help me along the way. Like, just some guy that I asked for help, and he, you know, took time out of his day just to help my dumb ass. So, shout out, random Japanese guy. Um, but, yeah, they couldn't help me at the gas station, so we went to the um, police station. And in Japan, it's, it's, it's actually extremely rare to get robbed or to have your shit taken or to get mugged. It's, it's a very, very safe country. So we walk into the police station and I assume maybe like, oh, maybe I lost the wallet, maybe it just fell out and someone will have returned it because that's also very common in Japan. If you leave something in a bathroom, you can come back hours later and it's still there. But in my case, I don't think I just dropped it. I think someone took it um, because it wasn't in the police station. But as I was filing the police report, some rando walked in with my driver's license, not the wallet, not the credit card, not the cash, just the driver's license. I don't know why, maybe you could help me. I don't know why, but he had my driver's license, so I was thankful for that. I had some form of ID. Um, and yeah, dude, I, dude, that was actually really rough now that I'm thinking about it, like the weeks after that, because I had no credit cards, I had no cash. I basically just had to like rely on the money I had like under my mattress in Japan, which was not a lot. So I had to wait for my parents to send me a new credit card in the mail from you know across the globe um, that was, yeah, it was a scary time, but, you know, I made it through, it was fine, um, but, you know, don't, don't think that's, that's common in Japan, that almost never happens, I was just drinking to excess, let that story be a warning to you kids, don't drink alcohol, just smoke marijuana, smoke a lot of marijuana, (laughs) just kidding, YouTube monetizers, please don't take this down, okay, um, what's next, okay, So, I came home from Japan. Why did I come home from Japan? I came home from Japan for a stupid reason. I came home to see a girl. I 
I don't want to get into too much detail, but basically I left the country of my dreams to pursue a girl that at the time I thought was of my dreams, which she was not. She was a devil. Okay. I wasted a lot of time on her and I came home for practically nothing because I came home and was like, Hey, I'm here. And she was like, Oh, I don't want to be with you. And I was like, thanks. Thanks for that. All right. Life lesson learned. <laughs> so I came home, lived with my parents in misery for a few months no offense, I mean, I'm very grateful for everything they've given me, but it's just a hard pill to swallow after living across the globe for a year. Um, so I started teaching English online with a company called VIP Kit, also a great way to teach English. I will link that in the description. Easy way to make money online. Um, so I started teaching with them, and I was like, okay, my next plan, I was, I'm going to go to Ecuador. I'm gonna, just going to pick the most randomest country that speaks Spanish. I'm going to find the cheapest flight. I possibly can, and I'm just going to start living life over there. I'll figure it out. Same as Japan. So my ticket was for like March 29th of 2020. March 29th of 2020. What happened then? Hmm, let's think. Well, so I couldn't do that. Couldn't do that at all. So I was stuck at home four months. Literally four months. Because, you know, obviously can't leave the house. I was terrified of the coronavirus. I literally did not leave my house, literally did not even go for a drive, nothing for a month. Okay. So let that sink in. I was fucking terrified of the virus. Um, and I was just like a hypochondriac for like four months sitting at home. Um, but when I was at home and it was actually really valuable to me because I had this urge to travel. I really, 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 really wanted to travel. I had this plan to live in Ecuador. I thought this was my new life. I thought this was my life's passion. And then boom, one day it's gone. So I'm sitting at home watching a lot of YouTube vlogs. I watched a lot of Bald and Bankrupt, this guy named Peter something, Indigo Traveler. He went to North Korea. He goes to like Sudan. He's crazy, dude. He's the shit. Um, and also all gas, no brakes. Shout out Andrew Callahan. I love, I love all that stuff. I love all that content because those guys will go anywhere. They'll talk to anybody. They'll eat anything. They'll, they're just adventurers in the truest sense, in my opinion. And I'm sitting home feeling so trapped, feeling so lost, purposeless in life. And I'm watching these guys go to North Korea, go to Sudan, go to Bangladesh, go to India, go to um, Belarus, just all over the world. And I'm sitting here on my couch and I'm just living through them, you know? Um, and that was really valuable, dude, because it that's what made me want to start vlogging, was to show people that they can do it too. Like, come along for the journey. I'll show you how it's done, you know? Um, and just to help people, like, maybe they feel stuck or maybe they feel like they can't afford to travel or whatever. They're stuck at home, and it's an outlet for them to exercise some of their freedom, right? Because travel really is an exercise in freedom. And when you're stuck at home, you're not free. When there's COVID restrictions, you're not free. You're sitting at home. So um, those guys just really helped me get through that dark time, man. And so in July 2020, I just let's see how I am on time. Okay, running a little behind. It's all good. We're gonna finish this. <coughs> so um, actually, should we just put it down and pick it up later? We're gonna cut this short, guys. I gotta make it to a dark disappointment. I gotta be responsible. Um, we're just going to make this two episodes because this is like 45 minutes long already. I know that's that's plenty long. So I will tell you all about 
driving across the U.S. in the next episode. But for now, take care of yourselves. Don't get COVID. I'll see you soon.